You are listening to episode 153 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we... In this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge... So if you weren't able to hear Ryan just now, um, we are going to be attempting to, I guess, kill mom in today's Inflation Deflation Challenge with Friday the 13th on the NES. Uh, This is actually uh, an LJN slash Atlas based game. So I think it was produced by Atlas and then it was like distributed or something by or published by uh, LJN and it is listed as one of the top 15 worst NES games apparently. So, very scary. Very scary this week. Uh, But, Ryan, uh, on this week's episode, we've got some pretty cool stuff. We're going to be talking uh, Critical Role video game and early development. Nintendo Leaker suggested that the pricing of the Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pack could be tied to licensing costs. No surprise. Um, We've got a new PS5 Wii U-style controller that's potentially been leaked. And a PS5 Pro release date, price, specs, and more rumors. Which, uh, when you start thinking PS5 Pro, that's kind of insane. And, of course, Ryan, this is coming off the heels of I boycott of our, this last article. You boycott it? I boycott this, it. And this episode is coming off the heels of our interview of Kyle Abair last week. So, if you um, have not heard that episode and you're listening to this one now, go back and listen to episode 152. It's actually a really good episode. It's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's jump into our weekly pickups, as we always do. Uh, I see Ryan has nothing, but I've got a couple. Get it. And really, it's more like a playset. So I just picked up uh, Ignoble Hierarch Magic Card. So it's a little goblin card that one drop green, and I can make three colors. It'll go into a modern deck for me, potentially legacy deck down the road. Really excited about that one. Um, I don't know how it's not pricier than what it is. Uh, I guess because of, you know, they're still in the process of producing some of these cards. Uh, so that one's pretty cool. And then I have my eyes right now on its uh, Absolov. So it's supposed to be like a futuristic Viking horror game. And it's like 30 bucks right now on both PS5 and PS4. It's $30. So there's no like increase in price for it to be on PS5. And uh, i kind of considering to pick this one up, dude. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Is it like brand new? Because I've never even heard of it. I, you know what? Like some of these games, like they just come out at random. And I just pick them up because I'm like, well, it looks pretty cool. So let me grab it. Like I've done that with, uh, I think one was Hellpoint recently. I picked up Hellpoint on the PS4 and I only got that one because it looked interesting and it was like 30 bucks or I got it for Christmas. Well, no, and you've got no, <laughs> no shortage of a place to put it. Uh, yeah, I still got um, enough room to probably put in like 200 more games. So a game here and there is not going to, not going to kill me. It's not breaking the bank uh, to get a, a game here or there. So I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm going to probably watch some video reviews and such on it and see how it is. Uh, another one I want to pick up is Song of Horrors, I think it's called. And that one is also on uh, PS4. So trying to pick up the horror games while I can. Yeah, all the stuff that I have no idea about. Yeah, that's, dude. That's the best part about coming over to here and hanging out with John and all his video games. Is he's got stuff that I have never even heard of. Dude, I got stuff on here that I've never even heard of. I just buy it. <laughs> so... It, it fits if it fits on the shelf then it sits on the shelf that's how it goes. <laughs> um okay and then we've got uh, my current league playing so i didn't do a ton of gaming this week because i have been so so stuck 
on watching Handmaid's Tale, dude. It is just such a good show. It's insane, but it's such a good show. And uh, I ended up playing a little bit of God of War in between that time. And the time in God of War that I did, I don't know if you got this far or not, but I'm in the mountain. And I got to the very top of the mountain, and I ended up fighting like a lightning dragon. And I fought the lightning dragon as I was half asleep, which tends to happen when I play games for some reason. So I'm here like trying to battle this lightning dragon, like in the process of closing my eyes. Finally did it and progressed into the next area. And that's kind of where I stopped. Um, so I didn't play a ton, but I got past a giant ass lightning dragon, which was really cool. And I appreciated all of the battle elements on that. Had a lot of fun. So I, I'm enjoying the game. It's just one of those things that I haven't had the time to like sit back and actually game with the holidays coming up and doing so many things around the house. And as you know, I've got a puppy, so I'm taking care of this puppy right now, which is really taken away from that gaming time I would normally have. Uh, plus D and D prep as well. Uh, I guess I can get into that a little bit. We added in another person into our campaign on, on my campaign specifically. And the group is finally in Avernus, as we had discussed in the past. Uh, they went out to Fort Knucklebone, which is this fort where uh, you've got this uh, night hag and a flesh golem and all these other crazy things happening. It's really kind of the, the prelude in a sense. As you get into Avernus, it gives the players a taste of what to expect in Avernus and kind of sets that tone. And uh, they just finished a battle with, which is kind of cool, like the way it worked out. So before the player was like, yeah, I'm going to join, um, I was already getting them into a battle with a warlord of a were a werebore and like some were-rats that are in infernal machines. And she happened to be a prisoner in there mm. and she was caught as a slave. So, or sold as a slave from the Feywild is how I had it played out. And yeah, so they, they got together with her and... They made their way across to, as they don't know yet, but Haraman's Hill, where there's a bunch of knights who have been crucified on iron trees, mm. and their blood is sucked out every single night and given to a vampire who is also a traitor. So he has to sit in agony on this iron tree and get fed the blood of all of the knights below, and then like their blood regenerates over the period of the day. And it's just constant back and forth agony and torment. And so my players decided it was a smart idea to rip one of them off of a tree, which then results in a bunch of uh, Sturges coming to attack them. And then uh, the other situation was they tried to go murder Hobo on the guy that was like on this big tree. So I played out like there's this giant iron wrought tree that is sitting on top of this hill. And there's this guy that's stuck there and he's looking down on everything and he's getting fed this blood. And then uh, Jenny is like, I'm just going to kill him. I'm like, did, did you not get the whole, like, I'm feeding you all of this, like, large tree, individual person on said tree, individual person tells you, like, I was just like, uh, he says, before you try to kill him, like, no, no, stop, I'm also a traitor of Zariel, to try and get them to pause for a moment and be like, maybe we shouldn't go murder Hobo and kill this guy, because he might be critical to his story, like, too late. No, no, it wasn't too late because uh, they started talking to him and as they were ready to kill him, they're like, well, just rip him off the tree. And as they were doing that, I had Harman, which is like a knight of Zariel, basically, ride down on a nightmare from the sky with a flaming sword and pointing it at them. And uh, that's kind of where we ended the uh, mm. the night. So they're in the process, like trying to rip this guy off. And like, here comes this big baddie Narzagon out of the sky with a nightmare, like ready to kill them. So... Yeah, that we continue that tonight actually. So I'm I'm excited to see how all that plays out. 
but yeah, it's um, it's been going pretty good with that campaign. So that was uh, that was my week. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I haven't picked up anything this week, so whatever there. <laughs> I, I played a little bit of Metroid Dread this week, not a whole lot. Um, I just got to the grapple beam, so. I've been talking to some people uh, about it, and I've seen some videos online, and I guess the consensus is that Metroid games have always been tough, so it's okay that I think that it's kind of tough, so that's good. Uh, I really am still having a good time. I think that I think that my uh, stance on the Emmys hasn't really come around yet, but... I still need to finish the game and see where it goes. I don't think it's going to take me too much longer. Ooh, sorry to get through, but I also started building some decks. Now that I've got a bunch of Midnight Hunt, a bunch of Forgotten Realms, I've got enough stuff to try to bolster together some kind of cool um, tribal decks just to mess around with. So I've been building a vampire deck, a zombie deck, a werewolf deck, and a like human deck i tried to build a deck out of like there's all kinds of uh, like humans that transform into like spirits and other spirit cards and uh things that transform into demons and stuff but i just i don't think i have enough pieces to really put together something like that like i pulled out all the white and blue that i had to see what i could cobble together and by the end of it i was like i've got like the tribal that they're all spirits but just not enough of them interact in any meaningful way for this to really have any kind of point to it like yeah the vampires all have this great uh trigger effect if an opponent took damage this turn and you know if you're playing a black red deck you can just do a burn and then play these vampires and get all these great bonuses, like that's going to build up momentum and actually accomplish something. The werewolves, I don't know. That doesn't seem super strong from what I have. Like I'm just cobbling together what I have. I don't, I'm not running like four of eight cards and then my lands. Like I've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it just seems like so so. The human one seems pretty strong with the coven ability which is like whenever you have three creatures with a different power, you get this added bonus. And a lot of that stuff seems pretty cool. Um, that has some transforming things. The one thing, though, like trying to put together, especially the werewolf deck, I'll say that like, you know, 60% of the cards that aren't lands are double-sided. Yeah. So I need to get enough placeholder cards to put in the deck to make up for all of those cards that I need double-sided versions of to be able to use. So I'm going to have to probably keep a lot of my extra doubles, at least for those ones, um, so that it's easier to play with. So, Well, uh, I will look through a lot of my commons and uncommons that I have. I don't know if you saw anything when you were going through what I... You know, it's been weeks since I was going through your stuff. I know I have a ton of Innistrad cards from the original set. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure I got plenty of zombies and werewolves in there. So, and vampires. So whatever I can find that. Well, I'm just trying to throw together some stuff. That's like all from the same, just these most recent two blocks oh, to see you. how that stacks. Like I have a whole bunch of old vampires from like Zendikar and stuff that 
I could throw in there, but I'm just I, I want them to be all kind of from the same realm of yeah. where they're coming from. And I even kind of excluded like there was a lot of Forgotten Realms cards that I thought about adding in, but then like thematic wise, it just wasn't like as on point. So I left a lot of that stuff out actually. I did try to incorporate a couple of the classes. They uh, the so ranger you, class is really good. You know they have there's a a zombie commander deck for yeah. Mistrod that came out. I have two of the commander already from that one. Oh okay. That I just pulled. Yeah, I need to pull or I need to purchase um the Poppet Master is like crazy. Oh really? I yeah. want to purchase a 2019 set of uh, commander. I haven't done that yet. I got some, you know, I, I mentioned a while back I got some credit card money coming in, the reward points. So I'm going to likely pick that up and then uh, I've got some cash aside from I just got my windshield done. So, you know, some of these places are like, we'll give you a gift card for yeah. getting it changed through us. So I have like 75 bucks coming my way from that. So we'll see oh. how it all goes. The other thing I did this week, um, if you guys check out on Netflix, they got the movies that made us. They got the toys that made us. Those are both great like series. The movies that made us came out with a season three that is mostly like horror movies. So it's got like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, RoboCop, Alien. Uh, there might be another one or two in there. But, uh, you know, we're playing Friday the 13th this week. I've never really been a huge movie horror buff myself. I was always very scared as a child of them. <laughs> so I didn't really grow up with them. And then as I got older and started watching them, I found most of them to just be dumb for the most part. So, you know, some dumb fun to watch every now and then is great. But I've never really seen a lot of these classics. And seeing the behind the scenes and, like, learning about these movies that, like, really built the horror genre is, like, it was really interesting. And I got a lot of good stuff out of it. So if you're into that stuff or even if you're just kind of, like, tangentially into horror like i don't know if anybody else is into like i always used to read like the wiki synopsis for horror movies because i wanted to know what happened kind of but without all the gore and tension yeah so i used to do that a lot too so this is a great other way to get kind of an insight at like how everything did and it's it's cool how hollywood works from an outsider perspective so that's that's very neat Nice. Enjoy that if you're into that. Well, they also have the toys that made us, which is also pretty cool, too. Yeah, I like that's that great. Uh, okay, well, before we get into this week's episodes, uh, a nice reminder to find us on thegamedeflators.com, on social media, at Game Deflators on Twitter, at the Game Deflators on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, you're listening to us on a podcast app right now, or maybe YouTube. And you can find us on other podcast applications out there where all podcasts are found, uh, like Spotify, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Okay, our first article, Ryan, uh, that we're gonna kind of cover and give our opinion on is uh, Critical Role video game and early development. Is that this what we're is, gonna do? Yeah, we'll, we'll give our opinion <laughs> on. It. Uh, this is uh, Ethan Moss at CBR, which I think is what is a comic book resource. I, I forget the full name, but CBR.com. And yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of Critical Role. Like my wife watches it all the time. I know you used to watch it a lot. My yeah, I did the it. whole first season, a bunch of the second season. I love all the the actors on there. I think they're all super awesome people. I think that what they've done with that is really amazing. What they've built up. They've got that animated show that's going to premiere soon. They've yeah, done like later this year or uh, beginning of next year. Yeah, they've done. Uh, 
like releases of their characters voice acted in other video games, but now they're finally going to be working towards an adaptation of their own game. Well, they've even got D&D settings and such. Like I've got two of their D&D settings. Actually. I've got one, yeah. Yeah, I think you have the Taldori one mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, so like, you know, when I say I'm not a huge fan of it, like I love Critical Role and what it is. I just rather I would rather play D and D and watch then watch other it. Yeah, it's not D&D. it's not for everybody. Like I kind of lost touch. Like there was a time when I was in college where I would come home and I'd eat a whole pizza and watch Critical Role once every week. Yeah, and that I can't do either of those things anymore. Yeah. So I think that. So this is what my thoughts were as I was going through here. I mean, obviously, this is so early stages. Like, it's just an idea. There is no game. You know, we don't know what it would be about or what it would cover or if it would be a new thing or, or if it would be Or even the gameplay style. Like, is it an RPG that this they're is, playing? Yeah. Is it a fighting game? Like, what are, you, what are you envisioning here? I'm assuming if it's going to be faithful to Critical Role and... Faithful to what that means as a D&D product. I mean, D&D is an open source licensing for most things. So, like, for the most part, they could release, like, an isometric RPG in the style of, like, Baldur's Gate or even use, you know, some of those engines to, like, really... I don't know. I don't know. They could do whatever they want. But I just hope it's not just going to be some, like... Cash grab mobile game. I don't think that and they would do that, but I also don't know that they really have the funding and budget to put out like, you know, a top tier Diablo competitor, you know? Well, I don't think it'd be a top tier like Diablo competitor type thing. I do think it would end up being a mobile game. Uh, not because they wouldn't have the budget, but because that would be the easiest way to get something off the ground would be via mobile. Um, of course you'd have the paywalls and, and, you know, certain things that you could grab, uh, costumes and all that good stuff. Um, but like they have, I think that show is going to be through Amazon. So they have a pretty sweet deal. I'm sure by selling that the rights to that show to Amazon. So, you know, Amazon's not gonna, (laughs) they could help them make a game maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they would. Uh, but yeah, I think it'll end up being a mobile game. That's just my general thoughts on it. And it's kind of disappointing if that's what ends up being is some random mobile game. But, you know, then again, it could be a good mobile game. Yeah. It's not beyond possibility. It's just, you know, when you hear those people and Critical Role, like, it carries a lot with it. And they've been very successful and capable of doing, like, their books are just as good as anybody else's books. You know, and they're capable of doing this kind of stuff i mean they've been involved in that industry and they know so many people involved in that industry like they could totally make something really awesome but just time and money who knows what that would be because i mean none of them are you know developers in you know like a creating games kind of sense they worked on games in certain ways but like they wouldn't be the main driving point. They would be the face, the product, and they'd have to hire a whole team of people to do all of the rest of it. Yeah. Well, um, regardless, I think it's an interesting idea that there could be a critical role game. I know if it's anything that is, you know, even if it's a mobile game, if it's not like a, a card type of mobile game or like tile drops or whatever the heck that is, uh, I would be okay playing something like this and, and seeing how it is, you know, going from there. 
All right, the next thing we got here is there's a Nintendo leaker that suggests that the price of the Switch's online expansion pack could be tied to licensing costs. This is, uh, again, we've actually had this guy uh, before, uh, Liam Doolin of Nintendo Life. Now, the new expansion pack price, I think, is 50 or 50 bucks. So you're looking at bucks. 25 to get everything you've always had, and it stays the same. $50 if you want N64 games, your Sega Genesis Mega Drive games, um, and, and the Animal, Animal Crossing, Crossing expansion. Yeah, which if you think about it, you know, on a year basis, Animal Crossing's expansion is probably, what, like a $15 expansion pack on its own. So, you know, you'd be paying like 10 bucks extra for one year to be able to get access to all of those games, including games like Musha on the Genesis. So, I mean, that in itself would be worth paying an extra $10, essentially, especially if you were already planning on playing Animal Crossing and getting that expansion set. I think that'd be worth it. Or... Um, I do think it's still worth it at 50 bucks, though. Or... They could have just not done the Genesis thing and not had to pay those licensings and added like the N64 and Game Boy, Game Boy Advance for like $10 and everybody would have been like, oh my God. Well, you've also got some of the Rareware games like, you know, that are owned by Microsoft now. Who cares? So there Who cares? is... Genesis, all that Genesis stuff and any of those Rare games, like I'm sure, well, maybe not the Rare games, but like the Genesis games, can't you just play those on like one of those like mini mega drives that you can buy at staples for 60 bucks like they've been making mini genesis consoles forever that never got anywhere close to like the publicity of like the nes mini and the snes mini and stuff well and there's people that have been emulating a lot of these games for years well, as emulating well. what, so yeah. i mean like you, there's tons of ways to play it just it. it's not worth it i i can't see many people especially so if you don't have animal crossing or aren't interested in the dlc then this really isn't good for you. Yeah. Because you're getting a whole superfluous thing that's going to cost that 15 extra bucks and you're not getting anything bonus. And then next year, is it going to be an Animal Crossing expansion or is it going to be something else? Like they're never going to be able to roll back from that $50 mark and they're going to have to come up with something at least as good as this Animal Crossing DLC. And they're never going to, I mean, Animal Crossing sold so much, and it got a huge install base, but the amount of people that are going to revisit it a year later versus the people who are going to revisit it two years later, like, at some point, it's just not going to be worth that return. Well, I mean, if you kind of think about it, though... If and we'll every, be talking about Switch 2. What if, like, every quarter or every year, Nintendo gave away, like, free DLC, or, like, that was part of it? Hey, 50 bucks, but that DLC that's going to cost somebody $15... Yeah, but for what game? I mean, it varies. I mean, who knows? I mean, and it's not to say that that's the right approach and that's the, the right deal. But, you know, if there is free DLC that you get annually or quarterly, whatever it may be, kind of similar to what, you know, say every single Nintendo Direct, they say, hey, uh, we have this great DLC coming out. Uh, for those of you that are on the expansion pack, it's free. For those of you that are not on expansion pack, it's 15 bucks. Like, So make it like a game pass for DLC. Yeah. I think so instead be- of getting like access to a full game, you get access to all the extended features. That would be worth it. Like that would be an interesting thing that nobody else is really doing that. Like game pass is just like, here's all the games. And like a lot of things like when Sony gave away the... Final Fantasy Remake, uh, you couldn't upgrade that one to the DLC pack on the PS5. 
you would have to buy the full game and pay for the DLC to upgrade to the PS5 version. Yeah. So that's actually, you know what, John? That's the smartest thing you ever said. You should you should go talk to Nintendo. Yeah, I say some pretty smart things actually, um, but I actually do think that this is still a good deal regardless, because fifty bucks is not. I mean, it's not a huge bump out of your pocket, man. Like especially like PlayStation users have been paying what sixty bucks a year. Xbox is fifteen bucks a month to get access to these games. Nintendo is pretty much giving you access to Super Nintendo, Nintendo Genesis games, and N sixty four games at $5 a month on your console. Plus you get the free DLC. And then if they do something like that, a free DLC all, you know, down the road, that makes it even more worthwhile. I mean, I mean I they're going to add more games yeah, exactly. over time I, too. I don't think $50 a month is a bad deal. I think if you are not willing to pay or not $50 a month, sorry, $5 a month. I think if you are not willing to pay $5 a month, you might want to rethink your hobby. You know, on something like this. Yeah. Especially if you've already got the online set at $25. Like, it's one thing if you... I mean, really, there isn't an excuse. Because if you're already paying $25 and you want those N64 games, it's $2.50. not even that. $2 more a month that you're paying. Because, I mean, with 12 months in a year, yeah, it's 50 bucks is even less. It's like four twenty-five a month or some crap like that. The one thing I would really like to see... To make it more worth the money would be for Nintendo to actually put in the time and money to build up the base online service. Let's get voice chat through the game instead of through a mobile companion app. Let's get like uh, me's that are associated with your online profile instead of friend codes. Let's get, you know, full featured like chat and messaging and like stuff like all these other base services that have been well expanded since the xbox 360 like nintendo just hasn't ever meaningfully made those adjustments well and i think they could have had the opportunity to do that type of stuff through the finances built using this service at 50 bucks a month but based on this article, you know, they're saying it might be licensing costs. So you're paying Sega, you're paying different developers and publishers that have made these games on Sega. So whatever royalties go to them, you got Microsoft tied in with Banjo-Kazooie. So maybe Banjo-Tooie down the road and any other games that they could currently own. Uh, so, yeah, I think like a lot of that like crazy profit that they would have been making is probably not as good as it would have been if they went through to your point Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, all of that good stuff. So I am curious to see how this pans out in the long run. Will the boost, you know, turn into better features down the road? Or is this more so, hey, we have to boost it because, well, we don't really have much of a choice and we're losing money if we don't boost it. So we'll see. Uh, anything else on this before we jump into the next piece here? Uh, you mean the new PS5 Wii U-style controller potentially leaked? That, uh, but hey, one other thought actually on this other one. So one of the reasons they said that Sega um, was going to cost them more uh, within this is because the Wii store was so unsuccessful for Sega. Sega didn't make enough money on it, but they said, okay, well, you want to use our games again because they didn't support on the Wii U. It's going to cost you more money is kind of what this was saying. Mm. So another piece to that but yes new ps5 wii u style controller potentially leaked uh this is tyler fisher at comicbook.com 
dude, I saw the specs on this, or not the specs, but I saw like the the diagrams and whatnot. It does not look like a Wii U controller. Well, that's it's just a basic rendering. Like that's not what it would actually look like. Like their patent stuff is always like I know, but like you would looks think, like an IKEA catalog. You would think that it would have like a screen and all sorts of stuff, but it looked like two controller like circles right next to each other. And then it had another thing. It looked like maybe a tablet screen that had the controls on it to kind of give you the idea that maybe it was like a touch screen with the controller buttons on the screen. That's kind of how I was reading it. But like even that's not really a Wii U style controller because a Wii U controller was, especially when you think of the pad itself was pretty much a switch. That's all it was. You know, it was just controller buttons and stuff on the side, screen in the middle. So if you're going to be doing something like that, why call it a Wii U style controller when the renderings are clearly not even close to that? Yeah, I mean, in the article, they also reference um, Microsoft's, um, what is it, adaptive controller. Yeah. Which, that's a really cool accessibility thing. You know, they've been able to really bring a lot more people into the gaming space with that accessibility to a new usable control style. Uh, so if this is Sony's way to, you know, do something like that, I'm all for it. That's great. But if they're just trying to build some weird, hacky, extra, you know, functionality thing, like, why are you wasting time and resources instead of, like, PSVR 2, which we'll kind of touch on in the next article, too, like... It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, no, like you've done so much with the new PS5 controller. Everybody loves the adaptive controller. Like, it's got so much going for it. Like, to try to do this and like, how much is it going to be and what's it going to bring to the table? What's it going to exclude from other people? Because, like, the thing is, like, the Wii U gamepad came with every Wii U. Yeah. This is not going to come with every PS5 if it even is ever going to become a thing. And who's going to support whatever crazy gimmick it's supposed to do if only a fraction of the market's going to have it would be something like the Connect that would just die. Yeah. Because like it would be good for just dance or something and that's about it. <laughs> well, maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is some sort of like item that is included within future console sales or it's included with PSVR or some sort of tie-in. I mean, patents are patents, right? So the article even states in here, and we know this as well, not all patents actually end up being anything. Yeah. It just ends up being a patent that's like, okay, cool. We're going to put in a patent because we have an idea. We want to make sure that it is not taken from any other competitors and it's ours, right? And if we decide to move forward with it, we will. And so, yeah, I mean, this could be anything. It could be PSVR. It could be a gimmicky thing. It could be a new Vita for all we know. Uh, Vita 2 or some shit like that. So the Vita tablet, the Vita tablet. I don't know. That might be pretty cool. <laughs> now you're living the Vita Loca. You know, if they, if Sony created some sort of like handheld device that specifically just linked up with like PlayStation now, and you had access to the entire library and you could play in handheld mode all the time on the go, that'd be pretty cool. Sony just needs to make like the perfect Sony branded phone clip on controller and sell it bundled with their Xperia line phones and PS Now free uh, yeah, for and like just, a year or something. Yeah, and just do that and have like the PS phone like that's what everybody would, you know, people would buy that and the fact that they never did that in the past I 
I, I've gone on about that before, but yeah, well, it, I mean, it would that, make so much sense. That, that would make sense. I mean, you're selling Sony phones. You're selling a Sony adaptive controller that attaches to the phone. And then, oh, yeah, we've hooked you up to PlayStation now and potentially other purchases down hey, the road. Hey, Jim Ryan, you remember that accessibility you were talking about? That's how you do Getting it. Getting it in the hands of millions of people? Yeah. Make, make an affordable gaming phone that comes with a Sony-branded clip thing that has, like, the same feel like a Sony controller. That's how you win. Yeah. That's yeah. how you win. That is how you win. That is how you get in the hands of billions. Uh, okay. So the uh, next piece we have here that nope. kind of ties in is the PS5. Uh-uh. Huh? Nope. No, no, boycotting this this article. You don't like this one? You're boycotting? All right, I'm going to talk about it. So the PS5 Pro uh, release date, price, specs, more rumors. Uh, This is Lori Grunin at CNET. Uh, So Ryan hasn't... It hasn't even been a year yet. It hasn't even been a year. We can't talk about the PS4 Pro, but it hasn't even been a year yet, and most people don't even have a PS5. PS5 Pro. Uh, But Ryan has his notes here. No, absolutely not. It hasn't even been a whole it you see, you see, folks, he puts in typos on his own crap. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm that, not that's, a good, why, that's why I mess up. I'm not a good typist. Yeah. So I was okay. typing on my phone. Here's the thing. It says that they are, they are anticipating if this is to happen, it would be 2023, 2024, which makes sense. I think it would happen. Uh, they are saying it as would kind of... As long as they get a slim, too. Well, yeah, and it mentions the Slim as well. They're basically saying that because of the new uh, processors and chips and everything else that will be out during that time, it would make sense for them to go ahead and create a PS5 Pro. And the interesting thing on this is they say, well, because of the hardware and everything, because it might be so future-proof based on their $700 uh, price point that they're tagging on here as a rumor, that it would be future-proof for the next gen and that via just general updates, you could get into PS6 from that. That would be pretty cool. Do I see it happening? Probably not. I can't anticipate that being PlayStation, we believe in generations. Psych. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Psych, here's uh, future generations. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it's so early to talk about this. Also, talking about like a six, seven hundred dollar system is just so outrageous. I, like ugh, that's so much, and the fact that they're talking like they they're saying in this article too, which scares me that like you might need this for PSVR two because they haven't really talked much PSVR two. Like if the out of the box regular PS five can't do PSVR two, there's no hope. There's no hope because now you're going to like the bleed time on this is going to take so long to get enough people to have regular PS5s and then you're going to launch the PS4 or PS5 Pro. You're going to go into the same tithe of people that just are clamoring for it and want it and all the scalpers and you're going to just destroy any chance of people being able to get it because they just bought this system. It's not like when you bought a $300 Switch and then... You waited seven years and bought one because it had a nice, shiny new screen. Like, there's no, uh, not even a, a pro upgrade, and people are all over the OLED. I guess it's not been seven years. No, it's been five, I think. It's been five years. But, yeah. like, this is my point. Like, the, you can buy two Switches in the course of five years for less than the price of this thing that they're talking about and you would have already probably spent $500 on another system and if it's going to come with if it comes with PSVR 2 bundled inside with it and it just works out of the box wireless and you don't have to put cameras up around your room boom 
you know what? Maybe. You know, my worry on this is what if they decide to get out of a disc-based model and they say, we're going to release a Pro, but it's going to be, you know, no disc. And then... Pros oh, don't use discs. Well, and then PSVR 2. So say PSVR 2 only works on this Pro version of the console. Well, then what are you doing with all your PS4 games that are out, out there? So now that means that if I want to do PSVR... All the PS4 VR games I would have, <laughs> I would have to play PS4 VR games on a PS4 VR headset and then also buy an additional headset. I don't see them doing something like that, but it would be interesting. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think... Yeah, I mean, you Sony, probably do a $700 disc version and a $600 discless version. Or maybe, maybe you don't come up with a pro version for the... Um, discless because maybe you realize that like that's kind of what we've got with the series s and the x yeah like it's a weaker system and it doesn't have a disc drive which makes it more affordable so it's like people who just want it for the digital games like it's the perfect solution like there's yeah. no reason to have a 600 mega but you can't put a disc in it version yeah it doesn't make sense i agree with you well, we'll see. I mean, we are far from Thank God. any chance. Hopefully, this is the last time we hear about this for years. So, coming next week on the Game of Thrones podcast, we talk God, about the PS5. Every week for the next five years. <laughs> it's the PS5 all over again. Uh, the worst man. time of my life. Well, be happy I didn't include those rumors on a, a new Nintendo Switch Pro again. Oh, no. I was reading those. Yeah, those are out again, but it's too. But it's just going to be the next console they're yeah, saying. It would have to be, yeah. Uh, you know, Which is we, better. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But now we're going to have... Sometimes dead is better. We're going to have random articles in that over the years. Okay. So our game this week, we played Friday... Eh, Friday. Friday the 13th. Friday. 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 Uh, the 13th. Uh, released in 1989 on the NES. Uh, this was developed by Atlas, published by LGN. And uh, released in February of 1989. It is a survival horror game and is considered one of the worst games of all time in multiple ways like not just like one of the worst games it's also hard one of the worst movie adapted games one of the worst horror games one of the uh most difficult <laughs> to get through games uh this game i actually really liked for some reason like it wasn't good but it was interesting. There's a lot going on. I could see how this game to like a young kid back in 89 when this came out, if they were like, oh man, I gotta all the way through this game, man, and really got into it. I can see this offering a lot of challenge and a lot of trying to get it right, a lot of replayability. But it's it's like hard and not great. So I mean, even though it's like it's got all the recipes for what would have been a great game, it just couldn't really cash that check. Yeah. So the idea behind this game is you got a bunch of kids, your camp counselors. Uh, so there's like six camp counselors you can choose from. There's various cabins, large ones and small ones, uh, throughout um, Camp Crystal Lake. You have a map. Yeah, you've got a map that you go based off of. There's like a cave. There's several forest-based areas, and there's main roads that you go on. While you're on the roads, you have like vultures attacking you, zombies, wolves that can get to you, bats, all these crazy things. And you pick up items along the way, like lighters and gasoline and vitamins and a whole bunch Knives, of crap, right? machete, yeah. 
pretty much everything you can think of. Uh, some sort of like sickle that returns back to you. That was interesting. Um, so yeah, you've got all that going for you. All the meanwhile, Jason is going around uh, killing various kids and you got to protect them. And, and you're trying to find your way around this large puzzle at the same time of... You have notes that'll say, go to this area and pick up this item. And so you're dealing with that too. Trying to stop all the kids from getting killed by Jason. And I don't know like if there's a way to kill Jason. It says there if is. you get the torch, it's like a powerful so, weapon. There's several things. It says that Jason, it's kind of similar. So the, the battle with Jason, whenever you find him and come across him, it's not random. He has a pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, but it feels random in a sense. And when you come across him in some scenarios, you have like this punch out style uh, vibe yeah. where like he's attacking and you're trying to dodge and, and hit him at the same time. Uh, apparently you can like kill him um, in those situations. Like he goes away. Uh, but then you have to, of course, find more items to try and deal more damage. I think they said the torch is the biggest item yeah. uh, that deals damage. But the other thing is that there's in-game days for this, and you have to kill Jason three times over the course of three in-game days, mm. all while trying to do all of this crazy crap, dodging all these monsters, picking up all this stuff. So it's it's clearly a difficult game. And when you have to go to certain areas like, for example, the forest, or if you have to go to a cave, it's like this winding path of just a maze essentially like it is so difficult to get in and out of the forest I want to see a speed run of this game. you actually it you actually need a guide at some point unless you remember every single twist and turn you take in this forest or in these caves you need a guide to get through it and the worst part about it as ryan and i were playing is when you're stuck in the forest and you can't find your way out and jason's going off and killing kids by the cabins and you're trying to figure out how to get out of this forest and get there in time it's just terrible uh, in those elements, and I Dude, get we it. should have done the speed run. It's only three minutes. Three minute speed run. <laughs> I uh, think it's what is it? Uh, two minute fifty eight second. Okay. We could have been through that in no time. We'll have to watch a speed run <laughs> to get the idea on how to beat the game. And then that's we'll go what back. we should do from now on. We should just try to find games that we could figure out how to do the speed run in 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty fun well speed running dude it, it takes quite a while to get there yeah but if he can do it in three we could at least do it in 20 and we would have saved ourselves 20 minutes of heartache that's true uh <laughs> no i think we played longer next we were stuck in the woods for probably 20 minutes <laughs> it's true uh but yeah so the woods area and like the cave it's actually from what we were reading a while back it's intentionally done that way mm -hmm. to make you feel like you're actually it's, lost. It's like a, I think it's like a lost wood situation. Yeah. Where if but, you don't do the right pattern, it's an infinite loop. But it's honestly frustrating. Yeah. Like it really is. Like I'm, I'm in this game to try and play it. I'm not in it to get lost in a set of woods. And I get why they did it. But it's not helpful when you have like crazy elements of the game occurring and you can't find your way out and kids are dying. Like if I was in that situation in the woods... I wouldn't necessarily, and obviously it's based on the time it was made, but I wouldn't be lost. Like if I was lost in the woods, I would have no idea how many kids are dying in those cabins, mm -hmm. right? Like realistically, it should be a situation where based on how much time don't, you're don't, in don't there. Don't go realistic 1989 NES title. Okay, hold on. So what it what should have been is based on how much time you spent in the woods, it removed a certain amount of kids. So if uh. you're in there for like, say, 10 minutes of gameplay, X kids are gone. Or if you hit so many different like locations, you want like 10 different roads. Well, it's like every road you go on, a kid is missing. Something like that. It's just, yeah. I, I didn't like that component. That really kind of killed it for me while you are playing. I could have dealt with the going in a forest and maybe having a map open up for the forest and going through various areas there. Um, and then having the roads that we would normally traverse through. 
but it really just kind of killed it for me getting lost and wasting so much time and having so many of the kids die in that process. It just, that killed it for me for sure. I like the visuals. I do too. I thought it was a good looking game. Yeah, I do too. I really liked that. The music was interesting. You had called out, it was like Zelda trying to get yeah, to... Yeah, it sounds like Zelda Yeah, in, in like in the fairies when you're in like the, the cabin. It sounds yeah. like the fairy song. Kind it of. was really interesting. So the music is definitely not something to write home about. But I felt that the combat was pretty good, uh, you know, battling the different werewolves and such. I didn't find any major issues with the controls. The punch-out style thing with Jason seems extremely difficult. We only did it like one time, too. What, Jason? Yeah, like once or twice. We did and he about just two killed th- the hell out of us. Yeah, we did it about two or three times, and he killed us. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the punch-out thing with Jason is kind of weird, but I do like the, you know, going into cabins and that you know, having to walk forward and you can take your twists and turns and see what's going on. So like when you turn around and Jason's next, you're like, Oh shit, Jason's there. So that was pretty cool. It brought in that horror element. And, uh, the spawning of zombies though was like excessive. Yeah. That was a lot. You're walking around and it's just zombie mania. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're hard to kill. They're super easy to kill. It's more of a nuisance of like, really, I got to kill like these four flipping zombies to take my next step. So that, that I felt was kind of dumb. I will say, I uh, John didn't have the manual for this one, so I looked up a PDF of the manual so we could figure out what we were doing. It's a good manual. Mm-hmm. It's got like good illustrations in there. Pretty it's got thorough. like pretty comprehensive like guide of all of the different states of play and how the controls are in each of those states of play. Uh, it's got like some good advice in there on like how to at least get started. It's got like descriptions of what all the items do. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like a good manual. And I actually, dude, I, I love collecting manuals on NES when I can find them. And that's one, unfortunately, that I don't have. But you know, you saw, and actually, you didn't know this until today. But anytime I have a manual for a game, I usually keep it within like the the dust sleeve for an NES game, and uh, have it side by side. So if there's ever a situation where we really need a manual, and we happen to be playing that game that has one, it's nice to kind of have a hard copy on hand. Okay, so as we approach brass tacks. Well, let's just do that, and then I'll talk about what you were just talking about with the manual. So, uh, taking a look here, complete inbox, uh, 132.85. That's peaking right now in October 2021. I think it's you know just a part of that big bubble that we're in. Also, I mean, I always expect the holiday time of year to trigger games like these to increase in price. I don't know if it's just coincidental because of all the surging prices nowadays. Uh, but I'm going to throw it down to Halloween. And then, uh, yeah, it's just skyrocketing. If if you don't already have this game, complete in box, now is not the time to buy it. But loose, $15. Uh, that peaked at $25.12 when somebody paid way too much for it back in July 20. Um, but it looks to be kind of holding. Now, this is one that is very up and down on the chart. So we're just kind of at the bottom of a little peak so if it's gonna hold here who knows it'll probably go up and then back down pretty usual um i would say that if you take a look at the price charting okay loose 15 dollars box 50 dollars manual 20 dollars so for 75 dollars you could put together a 132 dollar complete version to sell so if you if you captain planet this thing or voltron it together you could make 50 bucks so there's there's your end point 
Yeah, I mean, 75, I mean, you're saving 60 bucks easily. Now, I mean, condition is another thing too, right? Like some of that manual could be torn. Your box could have a one of the little pieces, like a tear on the corner or like missing a lid, something like that. I mean, there's tons of reasons why it could be that price point. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if there's an opportunity to buy, like piecemeal it out and get it like that, yeah, no problem. Definitely do it. I've done that with games before. Like if you're the guy that has the box for 50 bucks, like it's so worth your time to go out and spend the extra 15 on the game. Yeah, it Stick really it in the is. box and this value of both would go up i've sold boxes actually myself in the past <laughs> for games but i've always based the price of the box based on so like uh castlevania 4 is a good one i actually had the box for that do i care about getting the box for castlevania 4 and keeping it not really however uh i think i sold that box at like 50 bucks and the game itself like complete was going for like 90 mm-hmm. so i was able to good deal. you know somebody happened to have the manual and had the game and I went ahead and sold them a box for 50 bucks and they probably made it complete. The box has to be the hardest part to get. Cause if yeah. that box isn't with that game in manual, it's in the garbage. Yeah. I've got some RPG boxes actually for super Nintendo that, uh, like different RPGs that I haven't been able to pick up and plan to down the road. Um, dude, that's the perks of formally working in a game shop, yeah. you know, loose boxes and nobody cares about you happen to have them and pick them up years and years ago. I would say probably 90% of my manuals came from when I worked at the game store and our manager is just like, yeah, we're just going to toss them. We're not gonna be able to sell them. Like they just don't like, and we're talking, you know, 10 years ago, roughly. So you've got, geez, 10 years ago, <laughs> think about it. So yeah, 10 years ago, we were throwing out manuals Yeah, or he just didn't care about it. He's like, you can take them home. So I just imagine all those blockbuster employees that had to throw away boxes and manuals. Oh, dude, you know how painful it must be? Well, dude, all my dust sleeves came from there, too. We had bins and bins of NES dust sleeves. And he was like, we're just going to toss them or you can take them home. So I've had those dust sleeves for years. And I've just now recently gotten to where I've used all of my dust sleeves and all my NES games. Mm-hmm. It's actually really nice. Um, but, dude, so complete in box, I don't think it's worth it. I never really think NES games and SNES games are worth it unless you specifically like collecting for that, you know, franchise. So Friday 13th, maybe you're a huge Jason fan and you want to collect the box. Cool. Kudos to you. Um, I'm big with Donkey Kong. So if I saw, you know, country one, two and three in box, I might pick that up. Um, but a loose copy of 15 bucks for what you're getting, you know, I don't, I think that's just right, dude. You know, to be honest, I think that peak at $25, that would be inflated. But 15 bucks for a loose copy of this game, I think is actually a pretty good price point. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't really argue with that. Yeah, I mean, you're talking a year ago, it was $10 more. You can buy it right now for 15 bucks. Do it. Might as well. I mean, that was just one guy that paid too much. Maybe. I mean, maybe that was... Because it's like a huge outlier spike. Oh, I got you. Just during that one month. Like, right now, it's still... Um, let me take a look at the chart again here for loose. I mean, right now we're like the real peak, I guess, probably would have been June 21, 1773, outside of that one outlier spike. So, I mean, it's a couple bucks cheaper right now. I mean, if this thing's going to push 20, it's going to happen in the next year or two. 
So, I mean, unless you want to wait for game prices to really come down. Which, who knows if I ever will. This isn't a bad one. Like, I mean, as crappy as this game is, you could seriously, like, throw together, like, an afternoon of playing a bunch of horror games and play this one for an hour and get enough out of it, I think. Well, I mean, you can you can beat it, too. I mean, especially if you want to try the speed run of it or if you really just want to get into the intricacies of this game and traveling through the forest and caves and learning that. And Yeah. I mean, I can see some value in this title. I don't think it... It, it truly is as bad as people make it out to be. It I has some it, reverence. Yeah, I think there. I think it is worth revisiting for some of those people that really didn't like it back then. There's some frustrating aspects. So I'll give you that, but it's really not a terrible game. Yeah, I, I guess they did. Uh, there's a Friday the Thirteenth game that was released in 2017. That's like one of those asymmetrical multiplayer games, and they released a skin with that kind of teal purple color scheme jason from this version and i think there's also a statue figure that they released in that color scheme too so people have paid homage to this and it is a part of that history there's always that part of me whenever we do games like this that it's like okay what about the person who's like a horror collector or they love friday the 13th and they got to have all that memorabilia i mean those are probably you know a part of the reason that like that complete in box has to be so expensive. I would imagine just because there's got to be another group of people besides just game collectors vying for it. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Well, uh, is it a trick or a treat, John? You know, I think this is kind of a treat. I think it's a treat that tricked people. Because like, people. like it really, we didn't hate the time that we spent with it. And we've definitely hated some games that we've spent this amount of time with before much quickly. Yeah. So uh, the fact that this one didn't really get to that point and I could have seen us like sitting down and playing it for a while. Like I'd like to play this like with the real movie on in the background and, you know, drinking like a pumpkin beer and, and hanging out. That would be fun. Yeah. Well, it is spooky month. So we could do that down the road. So let's uh, I guess our rating for this week is going to be just right on the rating. So we'll mark that in. And uh, we both think it's a treat. Um, okay, so next week, we got to figure out our game. I don't know yet. We haven't really thought about that. We haven't even played a game yet. We'll get to it. We will get to it, and uh, we'll figure out how that looks. But all of that being said, this has been episode 153 of the Game of Players podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. 